Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. I know some of you guys want to wear your name tags to church next week. I said, man, I want to go with them. Ha <laughs> ha, not this week. How many believe what they just sang over us? That God's there, He's with you, amen. He's guiding you, He's working on your behalf. What a great, great God we have. By the way, I'm going to be in the book of Acts. You can go anywhere you want, but I'll be in the book of Acts. And I'm going to reference Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 6. Might even get to Isaiah 51. We'll see. I didn't get there last week, last service, but we'll see here. How's everyone doing today? All right. You know, it was Harriet's 99th birthday yesterday. Isn't that right, Jane? Hey, man, her mom's birthday is like... Hey, she's got an excuse. I mean, it's like when you hit the double nines, man, that's, that's awesome. Man, we're going to have a party next year. Man, she hits that hunter, it will be... I mean, it's hard to imagine when you think of it. You know, someone was born in 1916. That's back before Israel actually went back to the land in 1917, and then were declared a nation in 1948. But uh, it's amazing. That they, I mean, that was, the Ottoman Empire was still in existence at that time, until 1922. So, I mean, it's, God has been so good to her. She's such an awesome blessing. She is. Speaking of good, God is good. Amen. He is good. He's been working and leading, and and you know over the past few months, I know it's maybe been a little surprise to you over the past few weeks as far as you know looking for another staff member. Uh, but as we've been in discussion about this on and off since April, and uh, through a number of interviews, and then of course last Wednesday they were here at the picnic. Uh, we as a board decided to move forward and bring uh, Travis. On board, Travis Abair and his wife Ashley. And so, uh, anyone know Travis and Ashley? Oh, quite a few, quite a few. So he'll be starting the first of the week, and we're excited about that. Especially Corey and I, so we're like, ah, oh, some help at last. And so uh, we praise the Lord that he'll he'll be coming on, leading up and heading up the worship, and be passing some of those uh, responsibilities. Or actually, Rusty will be passing some on uh, to Travis, and he'll. He'll eventually step into that role. You know, he's not going to come out of the box first weekend. And, and so uh, he'll be stepping into that role, plus picking up the between the connections and uh, small groups, which is huge, which we just can't seem to keep that plate spinning just between Corey and I. And so, uh, so it'll be a great blessing. Now, I say all that to let us know how, just how God's working staff-wise. We're excited in the office because it'll be a huge relief. Um, but I also wanted to put out, because I know someone's like, man, can we, can we handle this? Are we going to be able to make this? What about next month with the economy? You've all heard the economy is supposed to crash next month? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to. Uh, September 13th, the market's open. Actually, it looked like it crashed this week, you know. If you had a 401, it probably felt like it, too. Um, but, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, that was one of my apprehensions. I was like, oh boy, what if something happens next month, Lord? And, and you know, he said to me, he said, Tim, don't walk by fear, walk by faith. And if it happens, 
in our country is going to happen here, it's going to happen in Martinsville, it's going to happen everywhere, right? And so we'll just take it as it comes, and God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And I'll tell you what, God has done a miraculous work in our ministry here. When I started to believe it was three years ago, last month, that I came on. It seems like forever, doesn't it to you? Oh, stop that. You're thinking, three years, man, I thought it was three decades. How long has this guy been here? But it's hard to believe, three years. But, you know, we look back at that time as an elder board, and just how God has blessed new life. Three years ago, we were over a hundred and some thousand in the hole. There was a lot of financial issues, and we just like, all right, Lord, we're just going to trust you in faith and move forward and just do the work of God. And God has blessed. And that first year, and it was actually from April to the end of that year, the end of uh, December, that deficit, God, I mean, turned it around from a hundred and some thousand in a hole to a hundred and ten thousand in a plus. Amen? Or a quarter million dollars had changed uh, directions in that short period of less than nine months. And we look back, we said, when we started, and I say we, when Jerry and I came on staff three years ago, we were just hovering around $850,000 in mortgage debt. And God used Glenn to help work with the bank to restructure that mortgage. We refinanced it, saved tens of thousands of dollars refinancing it. However, we didn't lower our actual payment out. We kept our payment the same, and we were paying on the principal. And in the past three years, we've been able, by God's grace, to whittle that principal down from 850 around there down to 390 right around there. Is that an awesome praise the Lord? Wow, it's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm, and here's what God says. God says, if I can trust you with the unrighteous money of this world then I will trust you with the souls of men. You ever know that? If I can't trust you with the base things of the world, finances, he says, I can't trust you with the the higher value, which are the souls of men. I believe in stewardship. And I believe that stewardship starts financially. Actually, it starts before that. He says, we are stewards of the manifold grace of God. So the multifaceted grace that God pours on us, we're to be good stewards with that grace. We're to use it wisely. And then from that grace, he says, and I have blessed you financially, whether it's in your house or in your, in your church, use those wisely. I said, and if I see you use those wisely, then I'll take my most precious possession, the souls of men, and I will entrust them to you. Folks, have you seen that month after month, folks have been getting saved, we've seen them getting baptized, seen them join the assembly. God continues to bring folks back that have for whatever reason, been away, and God brings them back, and others that have been saved, like I said, they call me, can I come to the office and talk to you? 82 years old, and God delivers them. Isn't that awesome stuff there? Man, I'm like, wow. God is doing a work there, and he wants us to be good stewards of those souls, and that means to make disciples and teach them. Teach them to reach them, and reach them to, or excuse me, reach them, and teach them, and teach them to reach them. It's always been my theme. So you reach them, and then you teach them, and then you teach them to reach them. Making disciples, simply put. 
And so this is one area we cannot fail at. We can't just sit back and keep the mechanics of churchianity going. We need to disciple folks. We need to help them in our small groups. We need to push and energize people into a walk with Jesus Christ. Right? What is that? Is that a phone? Oh, no, it's your son. Oh, he's cool. It's a, he's got a heartbeat. Yeah, it's awesome. Don't worry about that. If it was your phone, I was going to bust your chops in there, but I won't pick on your son. So I really believe that's what God is doing here, and he's, he's using us on, on staff to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And if we let that side of discipleship go by the wayside, God will say, fine. If you're not going to be a good steward of souls, I will send them somewhere else. And that's how God rolls. It's not a matter of barring the back door so no one leaves. It's like, no, hey, God's sheep go in and out and find pasture. Amen? So he is doing a great work here. We're excited, and we're excited to bring Travis on. Uh, He'll come in the 1st of September, probably 31st, paint his office. I think I might say, why don't you take my office, paint it first, and then uh, maybe just leave the stuff there. I said, no, actually, I get back from Israel. I said, wherever my office is, just point me in a direction, and I'll take that one. So, uh, so we, you know, there's a fine line between trusting the Lord and tempting the Lord when it comes to finances. And I can assure you, we are not tempting the Lord. We are trusting the Lord at this step. And uh, who knows what will happen next week, next month, rather. Come what may, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Who knows? Maybe we'll be tithing out of our beans and and rice. That's cool too, right? When I was hungry, you fed me. All right. Enough of that. We're excited. Travis is an awesome uh, man of God and and a great musician and a lover of souls, man. He, he, He is very much connected in the connections and small groups ministry, and he'll do a wonderful job. And it's exciting to see how God worked in their life on their end before even revealing to us on our end. So... All right, Acts 7. We're going to be verse 17 down through verse 29. Father, add your blessing on this. Your word preached through me and preached to me. And Lord, you did a mighty work in the first service. We need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh anointing. I need your spirit to anoint me with the oil of your spirit to just preach through me as though it's the first time, as though it's the last time. Lord, what do I know? You may call me home tomorrow, God forbid, uh, here, but man, what a glorious thing it would be there. But Father, we just ask that you'll just do your mighty work, move in our midst, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say, and we will be sure to bless you, because we are going to honor you through our listening. And all God's people said, amen, and amen, amen. All right, verse 17. Uh, Okay, hold on, let me get the right chapter. There you go. I didn't think that chapter 6 looked right. Verse 17. And the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Now let's pause for a minute. Just hold. I think there was a comma there too, wasn't it? Yes, there's a comma. So that means pause. Time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Now, let me ask you a question. Where is Abraham right now, according to the text? Where is he? Is he at church? Is he at home? How many say heaven? How many say heaven? Good, good. You guys are awesome. You're right on it. I know. You feel like it's a setup, don't you? Because how he's setting me up. Abraham's in heaven right now. 
And God said the time drew near. It got close to the time where now's the time to fulfill the promise I made to Abraham. How long ago did he make the promise? Over 400 years ago. You think Abraham was there to see it? Do you think Abraham saw it? He saw it. I believe he saw it. I, I believe that's what Hebrews 12 is all about. He, he says, for we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It means to sit in the grandstands and watch what's going on in the arena. I believe those in heaven, in the presence of God, see God and what he is doing in the lives of men and women. And I, I know I have people that ask, you know, does my loved one who's in heaven see me? Do they know what's going on? I believe they do. Based on that verse, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And that, by the way, they're cheering us on. Come on, man. You can do it. Live by faith. Trust the Lord. And, and that's awesome. They are cheering us on. And they are saying, you can do it. Well, listen. The time drew near for God to fulfill the promise he made to Abraham. He's like, Abraham, watch this. We're going to fulfill the promise. Now, part of the promise was the land, and they're going to go take that land. The immediate part of the promise was God promised a son to Abraham. And did he get a son the next week? No? How about the next month? Some of you know how it works. It takes at least nine months, right? And he messed up the first time, right? And so here we are like about a year and a half into seeing the fulfillment of the promise, and yet God kept that promise. But the rest of the promise, to be the father of many nations, is still in play. Here, here's my point I'm trying to make. The Word of God has made promises to you and I. He's promised many things to us uh, above and beyond eternal life. And that, that in itself is wonderful, amen? But He's also promised to work in our lives. He's promised to guide us. He's promised to reveal truth to us. He's promised to give us wisdom. He's promised to heal us. He's promised to touch us. He has promised to enlighten us by His Spirit. He has made many promises in our life. But our problem, at least my problem, is as soon as I see the promise, I say, there it is, name and claim it, here it is, blab it and grab it, whatever, you know. That's me, Lord, right now. And then it doesn't happen in five minutes. Man, I've been waiting all hour, Lord, for you to do this. <laughs> I've been waiting for a year. I've been waiting for two years. We don't, I mean, we give up usually a lot longer than that, don't we? We usually give up in the first 10 minutes and say, man, the Lord didn't pull through. But let me tell you something. The Lord never forgets His promises. Amen? All of His promises are yea and amen, the Scripture says. He, what He said, He will do, and He will do it to the uttermost. And we can rest in that. Even 400 plus years later, God says, I made a promise to Abraham, and I haven't forgot it, and I'm going to do it. Praise the Lord, we don't have to w wait 400 years to see promises to us. Amen. I don't know about you, but I probably won't be around. I don't know if I'd want to be around 400 years from now on earth. Boy, you think I got aches and pains now. Anyways, here's the promise. The number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Originally, when the promise was given, how many of their people were there? Zero. He was childless. Then there was one. Then by the time they were ready to go down to Egypt, there was 75. 75 would go in, and one will already be there, uh, Joseph. But by the time they're ready to come out, we're in the millions now. We are talking a whole herd of Hebrews coming out of Egypt. 
And God says, okay, now you're ready to take the next phase of my promise, which is land. Well, as they grew, then another king who knew nothing about Joseph. Joseph is always a picture of Jesus, by the way. That's quite a statement. Became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their babies, newborn babies, so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. He had little to say favor in the sight of God. There was something about this child that God was all over him as a baby. And you know the story where they put him in the, the little, literally it's called the ark, made a little basket, a boat for him, and sent him out on the river. He was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him in as his own son, her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. That's quite a statement because we always think that, you know, Moses at the burning bush, Lord, I can't do what you've asked me to do. I'm slow of speech. And, you know, some say, well, he had a speech impediment. Well, he, he stuttered. Well, he just, you know, he was a, a public speaker. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said, no, he was powerful in speech and he was powerful in wisdom. The problem was the speech he was powerful in was Egyptian and not the slave's language of Hebrew. He spoke Hebrew. He'll speak to the folks here in our text. He'll speak Hebrew, but that's not his first language. His first language was Egyptian. And so we see that God raised him up specifically for this purpose. When Moses was 40 years old, maybe you're thereabouts, maybe just getting started like Moses. When he was 40, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought, now the word actually means to assume, to take upon oneself, to think that this is, anyone ever assumed anything and been wrong? We'll, we'll just leave it there, okay. Moses assumed that his own people would realize that God was using him. They're like, oh, they'll really get it now. I'll just go in here, break up this fight, slay this guy, and they're going to say, Wow, our hero, our leader, our rescuer. But rather than believe that, it says, But they did not. The next day, Moses came unto two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them. He said, Okay, if I can't rescue you, I'll reconcile you. Saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So in other words, word has already been out. Word has gone out. Before word gets to Pharaoh and he finds out, verse 29, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. When Moses heard it, he got out of there and he took off to Midian. He'll be there another 40 years and he'll be 80 by the time his ministry begins. Wow, can you imagine just starting at 80? 
You say, man, Lord, I, I thought you gave up on me back when I was 40, and here I am 80, and it's just beginning. Well, as I looked at this text and read through it a number of times, I was quite moved by this text. Not simply because of its historical value. And I believe this actually happened, as God says it did. I wasn't moved by the fact that Israel was delivered from bondage. I I, I get it. I saw it. I read it. And to me, uh, history is his story. And so God tells his story and lays out the account. But what I was moved by was the fact that this is a point that Stephen used as he's talking to the Sanhedrin, this council of judges, this panel of judges who have his life in his hands. Stephen reaches back in their history and he brings this out from yesteryear and lays it right in front of them today. And what moved me is Stephen is directing these judges to his point that he's trying to make, which was and is in verse 51, when he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Case in point. He says, men, do you remember Egypt? Do you remember when we were in bondage? Do you remember Pharaoh rose up and he did not know Joseph? And remember he oppressed us and he was cruel to us and he beat us. And do you remember all those abusive things that happened to us? Do you remember God's deliverance? Why do you act like our forefathers and resist the Holy Spirit who's trying to deliver you? You see, what touched me was not simply a historical event that happened. But I mean, it touched me deeply when I, my spirit said, why? Why? Why do we resist God's deliverance? Why do we prefer to stay under abuse rather than live in freedom? Why do we go back to the old haunts when we knew nothing good ever came out of them? Why do we find it so hard to turn from the bondage that had once enslaved us and still calls us back? And why is it so hard to help someone that you love dearly and you desperately want them to see them delivered? Why is it so hard to help them out and when they don't want help out? Why is it that we find it hard to help them out? Why is it that we find it hard for us to get out? Why? Do we go back to the dungeon? When the shackles have been unlocked, when the chains have been broken off, when the prison bars of the door have been swung wide open, and we who sat in darkness saw a great light, and we heard the voice of the Savior say, Come unto me. And we came out, and we met Jesus, and we embraced Jesus. And He delivered our soul and our spirit, and we know that we are saved. And yet, why do we go back into the dungeon? And why do we sit in the darkness? And why do we allow the chains to get wrapped around us? 
And why do we resist God's spirit that's wooing us back out? Why do we resist God's people that try to encourage us back out? What is it about the abuse that we let the devil put us through that we are content to go through it and rather than be delivered out of it? When I look at this text, God cut this illustration out of the pages of history. He cut it and he pasted it right on the lives of the Sanhedrin. And today I believe that God will take even this text of deliverance from bondage and he will take it out of the actual page of history and he will cut it and he will paste it in your life and my life and those who may be listening. I believe that God calls people to deliverance. And God calls even his people to come out of the dungeon. And says, this is a light. And this is the way. Walk ye in it. Deliverance. Before I get too wound up, let's go over to definition. We like definitions, don't we? Yep. Amen. What's it mean? What's it mean? To deliver means, as you probably expect, to set free, to rescue, to save from moral or evil corruption. There's no corruption in our world today, so we don't have to worry, right? There's no dark dungeons calling God's people back in, so we don't have to worry, right? There's no shackles that we find ourselves in, so we don't have to worry, right? Let me tell you something. When we look at this, we realize that, that this corruption and this evil world that we are in, we are in the world, but we ought not to be part of the world. Right? They, they say a boat was made for the water, but woe unto the boat if the water is in it. Right? That's true. The word literally comes from an old French word, deliverer. Deliverer. Deliver. It's our word. Means to turn over, to hand over to a recipient. It means to actually set free from one grip and be given to another grip, from one hand and given to another hand. When your mailman delivers the mail, you know what he's doing? He's taking that letter, it's in his hand, it's in his possession, and he delivers it. He lets go of it, and if you're the recipient, you receive it, whether it's in your box or handed to you. You are the recipient of that deliverance. Are you with me? So it changed hands. Went from their hand, went to your hand. When a judge delivers a verdict, the verdict, the jury meets, they give out the verdict, the judge then delivers the verdict. It's in his, his mind and authority, and he then hands it over to be read publicly. When we think of this text, he says, let me tell you about a time, people, Sanhedrin, when you were in somebody's grip, when our forefathers were in somebody's grip, and that somebody's name was Pharaoh. And he abused you, and he mistreated you, and he was never out for your good, and he was never out for my glory, but he had a hold of you. And God says, and the Lord came down and said to Pharaoh, what? Let my people, what? Go. 
Pharaoh, you have my people in your grip. You got them right around the neck. And God says, Pharaoh, let them go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And God said, oh, really? It's never good to say no to the Almighty God. Amen? And you know what happened when, when Pharaoh refused to let go, when he would not let the grip loose, God came in and broke his grip and delivered him them. And God said, and with a mighty hand, God delivered the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh. Amen? God says, I took my hand, ungrabbed the old Pharaoh, shook him around a little bit, cast aside, and led you guys. Literally says, and he, he took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Friends, I'm here to tell you something. Romans 6, chapter 6, tells us that before we are saved, we are in the grip of Satan. We are slaves to sin. Try as you may, you cannot remedy your own situation. You cannot come over it or beat it with the power of uh, positive thinking. You can't just will yourself out. You can't just wish yourself out. You cannot remedy and loosen the grip that Satan has on you. But there is a God who is mightier than our enemy. Amen? And God, the day you cried out to God in faith and said, I believe that Jesus is Christ. I believe he died for my sin. I ask you to come and save me. Come and deliver me. Take me out of the grip of Satan and, and deliver my soul and spirit and the grip that he's got. And the Bible says that when Jesus saves us, he says, my sheep, they belong to me. They don't belong to Satan. My sheep hears my voice and they follow me. And actually he says, and I know them. That's pretty huge right there. Many will come to the Lord in the last days and say, Lord, Lord, have I not done all these things in your name? And even cast out demons in your name. And I will say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's a scary thing, isn't it? It better be scary, right? Man, I tell you, if they actually knew what they were asking for, they'd all be flocking to the cross, right? But Satan blinds their eyes, just like he blinded our eyes and our minds. But the day we got saved, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Do they follow me perfect? No, none of us follow us perfect. Do they follow me perpetually and, and say, man, they've been on that and they never get off that road? No, they, I don't know about you, but this sheep finds himself in the detours, finds, what am I doing way over here? Finds himself tromping through the mud and say, man, Lord, I'm, but you know what's so great about our shepherd? He leaves the 90 and 9 that are in the flock there protected. He goes after Tim and he pulls them out of the bush. He says, come on, boy, what are you doing out there? Aren't you glad he comes after us? And he says, my sheep hear my voice. And he calls to us and he says, what are you doing there? Come out from amongst them and be separate, saith the Lord. And we who know the Lord will hear his voice. And ultimately, we will follow him because Jesus said it. Amen. And then he says, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I just plucked you out of Satan's hand, but Satan's not going to pluck you out of my hand. Because the Father gave you to me, and, God, and there's no one stronger than the Father is. And the Father who gave them to me 
is stronger than all. And he says, and I and my Father are one. We are one. I am in the grip of Jesus Christ today. I am not in Satan's grip anymore. And I am covered with the Father's grace and His glory. And His Spirit is inside of me. And I'm inside of Christ. And Christ is inside of the Father. And let me tell you, you can't break through and break me out. And by the way, for those who think I can jump out, I can't even jump out. Right? Isn't that what 2 Timothy tells us? 2 Timothy tells us, he says, even though we believe not, I don't believe it. My name is Peter. And I deny him. Oh, three times, just so you want to know. And I'll even cuss to prove it. That's what he says. I'm going to start cursing so you know I'm not a Christian. I don't know. It was Peter. He was a little crazy, wasn't he? Read the account. He did. He started cursing. And they say, oh, well, in language like that, you must not be saved. But the scripture says, though we deny him, yet he abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, his spirit is in me and he sees himself and he knows him in Christ and he cannot deny himself. He says, Tim, though you even don't believe right now, he goes, let me tell you something. I'm not giving up on you and I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you and you will follow because he who began a good work in me will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ and it's God that works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Someone says, do you believe in eternal security? Are you kidding me? Of course I believe in it. Because God believes in it. And let me tell you, it's not simply eternal security. It is eternal redemption is the word. He has redeemed me. He has bought me out of the slave market. And he redeemed me for eternity. Amen? Hebrews uh, 5.9 even calls it eternal salvation. Praise God, he didn't call it temporary salvation. He didn't call it, well, if you make it to the end, salvation. Oh, well, doesn't Matthew say he that endures to the end will be saved? He sure does. But he's talking about the end of the tribulation. He says, in the tribulation, Matthew 24, he says, you endure through that tribulation, Israel, and I will deliver you at the other end, and all Israel will be saved in a day. Yes. Amen? Amen? You pull it out of context, it'll become pretext. Right? Leave it in the context. So when it comes to salvation, I know people say, ah, oh, Kennedy's not in the Bible. Bible's not in the Bible. What kind of argument is that? You don't have to find the phrase. It's called eternal redemption and eternal salvation. Amen? Now, if you want to believe the other way, that's fine, but I'm going to tell you something. You are going to live in fear your whole life. You're going to wonder, what if I mess up? I've had people say, what if I, what if I die with unconfessed sin in my life? I was going 56 and the speed limit was 55. And oh, Lord, I forgot to obey the laws of the land. You know what? Since you brought it up, all of us die with unconfessed sin in our life. And that's true. Because not just sin isn't just something you did. It's something you should have done and you didn't do. Right? And so if the criteria was, man, you, before you hit the, those gates, you better be all fessed up with God. Let me tell you something. The day I asked Jesus Christ to save me, he forgave me of all unrighteousness, he said. From the start to the end, amen? From the cradle to the grave. From now past eternity. Amen? It's forgiven. Oh, man, I love it, baby. Why didn't we sing the third verse of It Is Well In My Soul? You know that? Third stanza. I was like, oh, man, I love it. And Lord, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. 
That's my verse. I'm like, whoa, that baby rocks of ages, huh? Man, don't get me going in this. It's not about, it's not simply about eternal salvation. Listen, when you get saved, you are saved for eternity. When my son and daughter were born in my family, they were my son and daughter forever. No matter what they did, no matter how much they messed up, I still loved them, and they were always my son and daughter. All right? Very practical application. But we're talking deliverance here. Deliverance is salvation. But I'm also talking deliverance for Christians. You see, you don't need deliverance if you're not in bondage. You don't need to be freed if you're not captive. Like the Egyptians, the Egyptians were in physical bondage, but they were in spiritual bondage as well in their unbelief. They were even in psychological and emotional bondage. That, that part of it, it amazed me. I struggle with that side of it. Psychologically and emotionally in bondage, even though they were physically out of bondage, those who were abused were psychologically in bondage to the abuser. And they said, take us back to Egypt. It was so much better there. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Pharaoh's probably changed now. He probably didn't mean it. It's amazing to me that we go back into the very thing that often we're delivered out of. And we say, what am I doing here? Psychologically and emotionally. Your bondage is spoken of in Romans 6. This is how we find ourselves sitting in the dungeon. And by the way, I don't mean a dungeon as in lost. I mean as a saved person sitting in a dark, dank dungeon with the doors wide open. And there's no locks on the shackles and chains. But somehow you find yourself in this bondage. Verse 11, Romans 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God, how? In Christ Jesus. It's the word reckon. It means to take it. It literally is an accounting term. It's to go through and do the math and look up to the account. And as you look at the sum total, man, in my life, I go, oh, uh, sin, sin. Oh, almost made it. Oh, really failed. Oh, I could have done better. Oh, boy, what is it? Oh, let me add this up. Oh, oh, a zero balance. How awesome. Reckon yourself dead to sin. I have a zero balance. That has been taken care of. And I am dead to sin. But let me tell you something about sin. Sin's not dead to us. Right? Sin will still tempt us. Sin will still come at us. Sin, sin will, let me tell you, you know the day I got saved? It was a Thursday morning. Thursday night, I always did laundry on Thursday night because I was going partying on Friday and I wanted to smell good. So I go to the laundromat Thursday night. And I walk in the laundromat, and I look down, and there was a rolled-up joint laying right there on the ground. I pick it up and go, you got to do better than that. Are you kidding me? And now, on the way home, everyone else sparked one up and passed it around the car. And they said, hey, you want some? I go, I'm saved now, man. I accept the Christ as my Savior. I don't need that anymore. Problem was, these were the Christians that led me to the Lord. No. Doing a doobie? Yeah. 
Well, that's what I used to call it back then. <laughs> they were the Doobie Brothers. And here they were. And they, they were the ones that told me about Jesus. They were the ones that introduced me to Christ. They were the ones that were saved. And by the way, they are following Jesus Christ today. Because my sheep, though they take detours in life, they still come out and they still follow me. Amen? Yes, a druggie led me to the Lord. The Lord knew it's the only way I'm going to reach you. But the thing was, that night, I was dead to sin, but sin wasn't dead to me. It's like, in the car on the way home. Nope, 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 nope. And there on the ground, right there in the laundry mat, I'm like, you're not giving up. He was so obvious. That's what helped me. I was like, man, that's so obvious, you know. But the thing is, temptation will always tempt you and I. But we got to say, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. No, I can't. No, I am in Christ. I am dead in Christ. Satan, get away from me. Sin, get away from me. I am not going to yield. It says, reckon yourself. It's a, a, a battle of the mind, first of all. And therefore, let not, do not let sin, what? Reign. Become your master. In your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Is he talking about a Christian or a non-Christian? He's talking about a saved person. Because an unsaved person cannot just make a choice, oh, I'm not going to let sin reign. I've made that. You know how many times I quit smoking? Oh, I'm not going to let these cigarettes rule my life anymore. I quit a hundred times. I was good at quitting. I was expert at quitting. It wasn't until I gave it to Jesus Christ that he saved me that he delivered me from that too. Amen? And I'm not saying smoking sends anyone to hell. I hope you understand that, anyone. Just makes you smell like you've already been there. But <laughs> it didn't send me to hell. Right? It wasn't sent, I'm just saying it had, it, I was in bondage. But he says, don't let yourself. Matter of fact, verse 13, do not offer the parts of of your body. My fingers, my lips, my lungs, my eyes, my mind, my feet, my hands. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. As instruments, the word literally means weapons of unrighteousness or wickedness. But rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments, as weapons of righteousness. Why? For sin shall not be your, what? Master. It shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Is he talking to Christians or non-Christians? Christians. He's saying, listen. Don't let sin be your sins. I'm your master. Sin's not your master. If you yield yourself to sin, if you give yourself to sin, you're saying, sin, go ahead. You can tell me what to do. You go ahead and be. You were so good to me before I got saved. I'm sure you'll be good to me now. Right? That's why the chapter goes on to say, you know, what fruit have you now in those things that you are now ashamed? Or what fruit have you then in the things that you're now ashamed? I didn't have any fruit then. If, it, if I had any fruit, it was rotten. And I, I bore a lot of rotten fruit. <laughs> but praise God that he made me a new tree. Amen? Grafted me into Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 9. I believe it's chapter 9. Grafted in Christ. Don't read it right now. Don't read it. You're in a rush. You can tell me I'm wrong later. But I think it is. But friends, here's the thing. The scripture says... 
that we were delivered from that sin. And he says, we need to not let sin now reign over us. And there are many of God's people, God's people, that need to be delivered from the dungeon even though the door is wide open. There are many of God's people that find themselves in in the dungeon of sin and, and, and God's saying, come out from amongst them. Get out of that dungeon. Sometimes you're in a dungeon because you're in fear of man. I don't want others to know what I'm going through. I don't, I'm going to hide here and, and in the quietness of my room and, and I'm going to be on the computer. And some of you are locked in a dungeon or pornography. And you say, God's people, you better believe it's God's people. Because the devil doesn't care what happens. He's already got the world in his grip. But he just says, it's only a click away. And oh, you just, just this one time, yield your eyes to this. And then the next time, and then the next time, until before you know it, you've ruined your relationship with your spouse, you've ruined your marriage, you've ruined your life, and before you know it, you ruin your job, and before you know it, the scripture says that even a strange woman will bring you to the size of a piece of crumb, a crumb of bread. Why? Because we allow ourselves, we give ourselves over, and, and we surrender ourselves to a master who's not our master. Seth, come here a second, would you please? This Seth. Sorry, I got another Seth in the back. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to call it wrong Seth. Just happen to have a sword here. All right. Um, you be the good guy. Okay. You be the good guy. I always like to be the good guy, but all right, I'll be the bad guy. Seth. Scripture says he has weapons, instruments of his body parts, Romans 6. His mind, his eyes, his mouth, his hands, his feet. He says, these instruments, he said, don't turn them over. Do not yield them to the evil one. And this is what happened. Satan comes along and he says, oh, oh, hey, nice sword you got there. Let me, let me see. And at first, like, no, I, I, I just, let me just take a look at it. Oh, yeah, oh, not nice, yeah, okay. And we say, wow, nothing happened. I, I, I drank that, I smoked that, I snorted this, I watched this, I, I acted this way, I met her, I met him. Nothing happened, look it. Everything's fine. Let me, oh yeah, let me, nothing happened before. I gave it back to you, didn't I? And next thing you know, the devil seems to hold it a lo- little longer, moves a little further. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. And you say, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And he says, oh, it's all right, it's all right. It's all right. And he baits us a little bit more. And finally, says, all right, just one more. Just this last time, let me take a look at it. And then he has your weapon. And let me ask you something. If the enemy has the weapon that you surrendered to him, do you think he's not going to use it against you? I'm not going to impale him, don't worry. It's, all, it's okay, Jamie. Jamie's like, I can't? All right. No, just kidding. I never would. But the thing is, the enemy has no weapon. Until we give him our weapon, and then he uses our weapon against us. Isn't that right? And here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, Christian, just as you go to yield the weapon, don't yield that weapon. Don't give it to the evil one. But the scripture does not say, pull the weapon out and dispatch the evil one. He doesn't say keep it either, does he? What does he say? Yield the weapon to God. Our problem is we try to keep it. Man, all right, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop watching. I'm going to stop meeting that person. And we say, I'm going to fight off this thing and I will deliver myself. And we always fail. And God says, take that weapon and give it to him. 
And let me tell you something. No one can swing the sword of the Spirit like the Word of God can do it, right? The Spirit of God takes the Word of God. Give it up for Seth, by the way. Thanks, babe. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He uses it as a sword of God and defeats the evil one in our life. Amen? Matter of fact, the Word of God is so powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a good two-edged sword right here. And that baby's sharp. It was good. We were, you were safe. I wasn't going to do anything. But the point is, God is calling His people. He said, stop yielding your members. Stop surrendering yourself to be reigned and ruled by the evil one. Because I did a work in your life. And people say to me, oh, preacher, you make it sound so easy. You know, you really need a lot of uh, psychotherapy. You really need to go to the counseling. And once you're an addict, you're always an addict. Let me tell you something, friends. These are lies straight from the pit of hell. It is a lie from hell. Jesus Christ is strong enough to break any addiction you may have. He's strong enough to break your heroin addiction, strong enough to break you free of your pot, the bottle, the booze, the, the smokes, uh, the pornography, the adultery, the homosexuality, you name it. God is strong enough to break those bondage and to deliver you from your addictions. He is. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But friends, somehow we think, no, 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 this, this, this can't be. I got, I got to do all these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us this. Do you not know the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. In other words, don't fool yourself. Neither the sexually immoral. A lot of God's people living with people these days, isn't it? Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, and I didn't write this, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. It doesn't say, and that's what some of you are. He says, past tense, that's what some of you were. He is talking to the Corinthians. And he's saying, hey, you were in sexual immorality. You were an adulterer. You were a homosexual. You were a liar. You were a thief. You were all these things. But he says this, but... You were, one time finished act is what the word means. You were washed. And you are sanctified. And you are justified. How? How did it happen? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our great God. Do you believe He can deliver you from all these things He just mentioned? He did it, right? The Corinthians sitting there listening to this list. go, oh, oh, he, ha, he, oh, man, no, no names, preacher. Don't say, oh, don't point at me. The Corinthians are here and go, oh, no. And then he got to the, but. We're going this way. And he says, but such were some of you, you were that. And now you're washed, and now you're sanctified, and now you're justified. It was an act of God working in your life that changed you. You didn't change yourself. You didn't turn over a new leaf. I turned over the whole tree, and I still couldn't change. 
It was the blood of Jesus Christ that delivered you. And he says, and it washed you and it sanctified you. And now he says, the next verse, all things are permissible for me, but I will not be under the bondage of any. He says, all things are lawful or permissible, but not all things are beneficial or expedient. All things are lawful or, or uh, what's the other? I always memorize King James. We'll just say it, King James. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power or the, what? Mastery of any. Did I see? I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, I'm free now. Why would I go back under the old taskmaster? Why will I go back under where I used to be? Why will I allow this to, to ruin my life again? And I know people say, uh, you make it sound so easy. Let me tell you something. Giving your life to Jesus Christ is so easy, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Right? That's how easy it is. Oh, there's got to be some more to that. And, but, but the fact of the matter is, now that I'm saved, it, we, it, it's, it's not easy to, to, to say no to, to uh, sin. Sin will call you back and call you back and call you back. But you have to reckon yourself, I'm dead to sin, and how shall I live any longer therein? And you see, friends, if the Christian life was an easy life, Scripture would say we're in a playground and not a battlefield. He'd say, put on your gym shorts and not the whole armor of God. Right? It's not easy. It is a battlefield. And he says, you need to armor up. You need to suit up. You need to fight the good fight of faith. Right? He didn't say, you know, play the good game of faith. He said, fight the good fight of faith. And he says, deliverance is being set free from one hand and into God's hand. And by the way, deliverance is not escape. You can escape something. You can flee it. But simple escape just makes you fugitive. And a fugitive is always fearful of being kept captured again. Always looking over his shoulders, always wondering, you know, what's going to happen next? When's it, when, when are they going to catch up with me? But God does not simply cause us to escape. God delivers us. He makes us a free man and a free woman. And he says, this is the way you are free. Now live in your freedom. And it's freedom from fear. And it's freedom from the future things that could happen. Freedom from future captivity. Listen, I am never going to be captured by Satan again and locked up in his prison. You and I as Christians will never be locked in his prison. You and I as Christians may find ourselves sitting in a dungeon with the door open, sitting in the darkness. But we'll never be ripped from God's hand into, into Satan's hand again because God's got his grip on us. And friends, we need to start speaking truth over our lives. Isaiah 51, he said to Israel, he said that he's going to bring them back in the land. Are you going to go there? Okay, well, now I've got to read it. I, even I, am he who comforts you. You don't need comfort unless you're in a problem. Who are you that you fear mortal man? We are so afraid of what men think. The sons of men but are grass. And that's some guy's like, what do you fear those? They're like grass. I'm going to go mowing someday. Don't worry about them. He says, they forget or that you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. In other words, why are you listening to the evil one? Why do you listen to him that keeps you in bondage? For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoner will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeons, 
nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God, who churns up the sea so that, they, that its waves roar. The Almighty is His name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my what? My hand. I have set the heavens in place and who laid the foundations of the earth and who say, say to Zion, you are my people. God says, what are you doing sitting in a dungeon? I, and you're listening to man and you're fearing man and I am the Lord your God who made the heaven and the earth. I spoke it into existence. And I say to you, you will not die in that dungeon. And I, Almighty God, who started a good work in you, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. I will deliver you from that dungeon. It's up to us to say, okay, get out. Up to us to say, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I'm trusting you. Lord, I rest in you. Not, Lord, I'm going to wield my sword. I'm going to, no, I believe you're going to do a mighty work. And friends, my call today, my call today is to non-Christians, if you're here and you're not saved yet, you need to get saved. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hand of an angry God. That's what he says. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a God of wrath. You don't want to meet God without Jesus Christ. Trust me. If you're not saved yet, you need to accept Christ as your Savior. If you are saved, then my question is, are you going to resist the Holy Spirit that is wooing you out of the dungeon and calling you into his light? Are you going to continue to walk in that drug abuse? Are you going to continue to walk in the alcohol? Are you going to continue to, to walk in the sexual addictions? Are you going to continue in that pornography? Are you going to continue in the very thing that's been whittling you down and whittling you down and whittling you down? Or are you going to say, Lord, get me out of here. Lord, get me, free me. And, I, and I'll tell you what, I know I have been there and God saved me and he delivered me and I know it's not about going cold turkey, it's about going hot Jesus. If you go hot Jesus and you chase that, you, you spend more time in the word of God and more time on our knees, we'll spend less time on the couch. Right? And you say, well, what about the couch? I know about counseling. I'm not against it. There is wisdom in the multitude of counselors, Right? But while there's wisdom and counseling, there's power in the blood. It's the power we need in our lives, friends. And maybe you're here today. Rusty's going to come. He's going to play a song for us. There's power in the blood. Very familiar, great old song. But maybe you're here today. Maybe you're the one in need of deliverance. Maybe you're listening over the internet. Right where you are at, you can be delivered today. Even you say, I know I'm saved. I know. Get out of the dungeon of darkness. Maybe that's you today. You say, you know what? I need to be delivered from the dungeon of fear or a dungeon of fretting or a dungeon of worry or the dungeon of addiction or the dungeon of abuse. I need to get, fear or get delivered from this dungeon I'm in. And you know what? You know if you're in that dungeon. You know it. But maybe you're here today also and there's a loved one you so desperately want to see delivered. I'm here to call as we stand. Let's stand together right now. As we stand, I'm calling all those to the front right now. If there's someone that comes to your mind that you just want to see delivered, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's a loved one. Don't worry about this plant. It's all right. It's dead. It's okay. You come. Come right now. Right now, as folks are coming, our ministry team is coming, just come on up, stand around a circle. I'd like to pray for you. Others are going to pray for you. Come. 
You come this morning, this place is packed in the front. I don't know if it's one or if it's 20, you come. You want to see God's deliverance in your life, in the life of someone else? Today's the day. You come. Come now. Come and call.